I'm WFAE's David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got re-elected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. Episode 115, R&D in the QC. We apologize again for the long delay, but we're back and we're giving you a look forward into 2022. That's right, folks. Episode 115. A lot of people thought we would make it to this point a long time ago. Uh, that is not the case, uh, but here we are nonetheless with me. I am his sidekick now, I believe, after a, after a rough year, but nonetheless, You've been demoted. <laughs> I've been demoted to sidekick, self-demotion. Larkin, how was your holiday? Well, the holiday tree is actually still up. We're, we're not taking it down until this weekend. Uh, the holidays were good. I had a very varied um, experience in December. I was up in Buffalo one week and uh, a little over a week in a 28 degree snowing football game to watch the Panthers get dismantled by the Buffalo Bills. And then less than two weeks later was in Jacksonville, Florida for an 80 degree football game, the Gator Bowl to watch my Demon Deacons beat uh, Rutgers. So it was interesting. You, you how about you? You took you, like a uh, National Lampoon's RV vacation. Oh yes, this is my camo. You know, it's uh, it's casual uh, Thursdays. You know, you're the opposite Governor Cooper, the inverted Cooper. You you have been just straight traveling. Yeah, but understandably, uh, Governor Cooper doesn't want to leave because that would leave Mark Robinson in charge. If whenever I left the state, you suddenly were in charge of things, I wouldn't leave either. So I, I understand. You're not in charge of anything though. Well, <laughs> more than you. Oh, oh, oh. oh, too soon, too soon, I'm too sorry. Soon. What are we talking um, about today? Shorter episodes, and we're going to do them every week. That's my commitment Well, now. since in the last seven months we've done two episodes, we thought we'd catch you up on the last seven months. So this episode should only take about 17 hours. Uh, but we're going to get all the way caught up. We're not we're looking not back. Do. We're not okay, looking back. We're, we're looking forward. forward. Uh, so probably the last time we did an episode, which I think was September, we undoubtedly were talking about the fact that the elections had been delayed due to the census data delay. We thought that our filing was going to be in early December, and it actually did start for like two or three days. We thought that it would close in December. We would have a primary in March and a general in April or May. Well, that didn't happen either. So we found out on day three of filing, neither you nor I had actually gotten into file yet. Most people hadn't. Only a handful did. Uh, they paused everything. It had nothing to do with our election, but everything to do with state legislative districts and the U.S. Uh, House districts for our state. All are actually, as we sit here today, um, being going through a, a court process, being reviewed to see if they are uh, illegal gerrymanders. They just paused everything. So even though our maps aren't in question, they paused the entire election. And uh, now we are looking at a filing period. We don't know when. Probably, if I had to guess, early early to mid-February. Mid-February. I think it's mid-February. A, a prim- well, they haven't said it yet. I, that's primary, my guess. Yeah, nobody knows. Uh, a primary on May 17th, and then theoretically, we would have a standalone general election in July sometime. Our primary would be with everybody else on the ballot, uh, but our general would be by itself, which 
creates dynamics. People keep asking me, is this good for you, bad for you? Is it good for Democrats, good for Republicans? I think you can probably make a case that it's good or bad for anybody. Uh, we just don't know. It's just going to be very different than what we're accustomed to. I also don't, while what you've said is probably the most likely scenario, I also think, though, that there's a scenario it could be um, even more delayed than that. And there's a, a, a new scenario of which if the, if the timeline is so tight, they might come out and say either because there's not, not going to be a second primary runoff date or because they just are, are going to make it simplified that we all go in a general in, in November, which would be terrible. I, I don't know who benefits. I just know that on, with, with the level of politics up that, uh, up that ballot, um, no one's going to be thinking about us at that point. And, it, and it, that, I think that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, I don't think that's likely. But if it did happen, what would I think who it would hurt the most is whoever's on the next city council, whether that's you, me or not, whoever's on there would would essentially get elected to a one year term oh. and then or, or would be serving for a one year term. And then about as soon as they finished kind of figuring out where where the bathrooms were, as they say, they'd be campaigning again. So I, I just think it would make the next term. That's a great point, because what you would be elected in useful. November. You'd be sworn in, in December, in December, and then and you'd be, be campaigning. campaigning by March. Yeah. Oh. So, um, and yeah, this is unprecedented, though. I think we can say. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't actually seen whether or not. I'm sure there's been other times where there's been delays, but I doubt it's been delayed twice. Uh, it will be nice. It, it does look like May 17th is, is a pretty set in stone date for our primary. It will be nice to know when the filing period is going to be. There's there's rumors of uh, some old names like Patrick Cannon coming back and running for city council at large. And it'll be nice to have the filing period open and close and and for those people to uh, James Mitchell make, make up their mind. Yes, why are you talking about making a comeback? It'd be nice to see who the field is um, instead of just fielding questions about rumors. But it's, um, yeah. So what's your advice? Let's give advice to... Uh, potential candidates, candidates thinking about running. Um, what, what, I mean, yeah, seasoned veterans like you and I, what advice would we give them given all these uncertainties? Is it smarter to announce, come out and start going? Is it smarter to wait and see what the new scenario is? Uh, have a smaller I mean, campaign time? What? I mean, I'm, I'm obviously biased given that I'm, I'm running at large and, and you and I are both people who are incumbents or in my case you, kind of you've got basically like a statewide senate race campaign timeline going on right now you'll have campaign for yeah. two years <laughs> um i mean i do think it's going to be a hard year for outside candidates to knock off incumbent candidates and we've got a couple um there might be some exceptions to that but i, I think you know an established candidate like we you know malcolm graham he's got an opponent um who's an energetic opponent pretty well known in the community and in democratic circles. I still think it's going to be a heavy lift on a, a timeline where we're going to not be, as you said, we're not going to be the top of the ticket. We're not going to be the focus of people's attention. Um, there's not going to be a competitive primary for, for mayor. So I just think it's going to be tough. Now there are some open seats like Matt Newton leaving district five to run for district court judge. 
obviously that's going to be a new person. My leaving district one to run at large, that's going to be an open seat. And so um, those folks, obviously for an open seat, it's entirely different, but I think trying now or a Patrick Cannon or a smudge coming back, obviously come back with name ID, come with a campaign infrastructure in place, the ability to raise money. That's totally different. Uh, same with Alana Mayfield. But I think for folks who are trying to build name ID for the first time, I can't imagine you or I running in 2017 up against the attention that would be paid to a congressional race, a Senate race, state legislative races. Um, we got to be the focus of 2017 and we got to get out there and build our name ID at a time where we weren't competing with a bunch of other people for media attention or ad buys or, or you know, time to speak at a community meeting. Oh, yeah, we also weren't doing it during a yeah. pandemic. Uh, ad buys will not be an easy time. Ad buys will be impossible uh, uh, possibly expensive if that yeah. scenario was to occur. And, you know, most, most people when they're running a first campaign, if they're potentially going to be successful or out really pounding the pavement in the communities, they're knocking doors, they're at community meetings. A lot of that stuff as COVID starts to trend back up is not really happening at all, or it's not happening the way it used to. And it's not as easy to break through and, and meet people at a community meeting when it's on zoom, you might have 30 seconds to speak, but you don't, you can't work the room before or after the meeting. So I think it's going to be a really tough year for people who are sort of starting from starting from ground level in terms of their name ID and, and fundraising, but it, it will be interesting no matter what. For Senate particularly, but also the congressional stuff. I mean, uh, they, they all were counting on having a lot of time. And I think this might benefit Sherry Beasley. They were all counting on having more time to reload up after a primary and go after their uh, general opponents. That's going to be significantly shortened. I'm already, I went to my mailbox yesterday. I had let it build up for a couple of days. I had two Dan Bishop mailers in there. So, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I was, and there was maybe one other candidate that had a mailer out and I was like, wow, like people, so there's going to even know who he's running against yet. I don't necessarily even know that I'm in his district. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no one will know for sure yet. And, and I don't even know that he, I'm not sure if he has a declared opponent yet. Um, certainly not a declared primary opponent that I'm aware of. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of money to be spending mighty early. Um, Either way. Yeah. No, it's all right. going to be expensive. Um, elections. Elections. What else? I mean, we've got, so the news lately on council has been, a lot of it has been the fact that um, your at times nemesis, at times friend, Taiwo Jaoba, as of February 1st, will be the new city manager in Greensboro. Um, so congratulations to him. But he and Pam Weidman leaving um, around the same time. Pam's just retiring. I'm, I'm sure she'll find other opportunities, but uh, she had the ability to retire from the city, um, both obviously critically important to some of the things that are are most top of mind issues, housing and land use and planning. So between them, um, it also probably since our last episode was, um, has happened since our last episode that, that Kelly Flannery, our CFO, departed. She's now the CFO for the city of Nashville. So oh, I think really? People, yeah. As of, uh, I, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago, maybe. Um, but I think that there is, and we saw this, you know, maybe a year into our tenure when Deborah Campbell, Danny Pleasance, Kim Eagle all sort of left around the same time. We, it's, it's not, yeah, unusual. but it's different because that phase was a departing of the pre Marcus Jones, a city manager kind of, there was still the drama of like 
old guard and old clicks versus new. It kind of leveled out since then. And, and then this was, now we're in the era of this is the Marcus Jones um, leadership core, right? So, uh, although Pam would have predate, Pam would predate Marcus. Yeah, but, so I, but I, I just mean allies. Like, who yeah. was, yeah, who was allies versus maybe who, I'm not going to say enemies, but like, maybe weren't completely on the same page. Maybe some of them jockeying for that position and didn't get it right. Stuff like that. So, so I, I guess my, my, my take on that is, and clearly Taiwo and I've had a little bit of, uh, of, of an experience together. Um, he and I have actually um, mended fences as much as you can after having a really in-depth and in, intense period like that. Um, and uh, I, I really wish him nothing but the best I feel like I called all of this from the beginning exactly as it was laid out. Uh, I, I think um, I think that losing him, just from my own perspective, is actually probably a good thing for everyone. He gets to go and have a big position and be where he wanted to be in charge of a city. Um, we get to have someone in an interim position that we know and has been really a driving force. You may Allison not know her Craig. name. Yeah. Yeah out there, but, um, she, she, she did, she, she was hands on keyboard to craft a lot of that stuff. She knows it in, in depth. And now she's going to have a seat at the driver's side of it. Um, we are left with a massive, massive lift to figure out how we take vision statements of a 2040 comp plan. Many things I was hypercritical of, um, abolishing single family zoning without knowing what it does to affordability. Um, the, the use of community benefit agreements without knowing how they work or how it impacts affordability in the market uh, into actual ordinance. I don't really know how that's going to be accomplished. And that's where all the hard work is coming. So she has a huge task ahead of her, but I really view her more like I view Pam Weidman, to be honest, which is someone who deeply cares about her, her topic, but also someone who is highly pragmatic. And is thinking about execution. So that's why, as I see it, I think Pam Weidman is the most critical loss of this entire storyline where Pam, like who has a passion for affordable housing the way she did, a knowledge base of it, but was the person that, you know, we consistently agreed on things. And I was coming from a different angle and a different uh, side of the aisle and perspective, yet it was always about the pragmatic what is the outcome? What is the measure? What, is the, what are the unintended consequences and implications? Pam was that great mix. And I know there are critics of hers out there, but at the end of the day, she's about as good as it gets for the topic that we had right there. And, um, and replacing her with someone, my, my fear is we're going to get someone who is equally as passionate about affordable housing as her, but maybe more in the mold of Tai Wo that tries to tries to have a political objective at the end of, of, uh, of policy approaches rather than that pragmatism. So I think we're trading up in, in, on, on, the, um, on the, the planning side of things with someone, but then there's this incredibly impossible task of, of implementing the UDO. And then we have this big unknown on the other side with, uh, with Pam being gone. Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to say what that looks like until we see who backfills Pam. Um, and I don't have any sense yet of who that will be. It's not our decision to make. Obviously, it's it's the manager's. Who's the interim? Uh, I don't know that there's been an interim named yet. Uh, but with Allison Craig, she has been named the interim. 
Um, I think she will and should get serious consideration for the, the permanent job should she want it. Um, and she does have, not only is she not having to get up to speed, she's been up to speed. She's been as hands-on with all this stuff as anybody in that department. Um, she also has a lot of trust in, I think, the community broadly, but also in the development world. I think she understands a lot of how that works and what works and what doesn't um, and how I think she will be able to help us turn the aspirational goals that we've set in the comp plan into policy that can actually help us achieve them. So I, I don't think anybody, I haven't found anybody that has anything bad to say about her taking the reins on this. Um, you know, and I, I don't think it's, I don't think it should be overanalyzed with Taiwo leaving because the fact of the matter is it's, it's the same as if someone came to you and said, our Dan Bishop's decided to retire and we want to point you to that congressional seat. You'd have to consider it because it's, it's a step up in, in the, in the space that you're in. Yeah. It, but here's no, the one difference. Would, no one would think that was necessarily an indictment of the Charlotte city council. Here's the, here's the difference. I called this a year ago when we were in the heat of this battle, which was um, Taiwo views the 2040 comp plan. And again, I say this with love. We've, we've, we've gone through the fight. The fight was about what's best for Charlotte from my opinion. And I fought it hard and I lost. And, and I, I am, I love Ty Woe again and I'm wishing him the best. But what I called back then was he's going to go out for the 2040 comp plan. He's going to push on these things that across the, the nation from a liberal perspective have been really these idealistic kind of vision statements of abolishing single family zoning is the thing. We heard that out of the Biden administration early on, right? Comp plan, uh, uh, community benefit agreements are the thing that's going to equalize society and create all the equity. But there was no idea, ultimately. The hard work is, okay, you can say that, but how do you actually make it work? One, like tactically, like design something that's an ordinance. And two, how do you make sure that it isn't dire consequences to affordability and other important things. And what I said was he wants desperately to be at another level. And this is going to be his resume item. And it's the simplest way to do it because you don't have to figure out all the hard stuff. You just have to make and pass the statements. So in doing so, hold on, back to your analogy. If, if I, if, if I didn't do something drastic that put me on the conservative radar that enabled me to be the one to replace Dan Bishop in that scenario, I would have never had that at bat. That was where Taiwo was before the, the 2040 comp plan. And I said, if you do this, what's driving him, what's driving the mayor, all the people that are pushing for it is ultimately to have that resume item that enables them for that next thing. I called that exactly back then. And lo and behold, I said, he won't be here a year from now. Lo and behold, he's not going to be here. Well, someone could also, if you had that opportunity to go to Congress and replace Dan Bishop, if he were to retire, someone could say, well, Tarek, you know, used the 2040 plan as a, as a bludgeon to, to say that, you know, oh, that they're, they're ruining the character of our communities or whatever, and then didn't actually stay and do the work to figure out how to create, create the yeah, You can bash me, but whatever. do you, th here's the crux of it. Do you think he would have been city manager of Greensboro had the last year and what he did and what he succeeded at not happened? No. And I don't think if it weren't for some of the grandiose things that you do, um, 
that you'd have the opportunity, you'd have an opportunity to move up. I don't know. But I, just, I don't. And you, you can take this for what it is. You have to believe what's in my head when I'm saying it, but you've known me long enough and we're, I am your best friend. We all know that. I, when I say this, I mean it. You, you never were. You definitely are now. Uh, when I mean it is this, I, when the, the drama I get myself into, I really approach it, not wanting to be in it a lot of times. And I do it not with any intent of what it's going to net me long-term personally. I do it because I say, is anyone else going to say this if I don't do it? And so here's, here's what I, here's what I completely believe out of that statement. There's a lot of the drama you create for yourself that has not even a grain of forward thought given to it. I, I believe you when you say that. Not not personal forward thought. I'm only thinking about what no, the implications no are in the steps <laughs> of that topic. I truly, truly, man. And so let me give you my next prediction. Wait, my last every one time you get ago, in a Twitter fight, it leads me to further believe that you are not thinking ahead. All right. In, in Twitter, yes. <laughs> We're not, I'm talking about strategic <laughs> fights inside what's best for the city when policy that lasts mold, not me seeing something. By the way, I, we should all get off social media. That stuff is dumb. But here's my next prediction. My last one a year ago was 100% correct. I'll make this one now. A year from now, when the UDO is passed, implemented, and it's in place, what ultimately is going to happen is this. Allison's going to do her best to figure out all the things. And what's going to happen is there's going to be things that aren't included in it that aren't able to be figured out or are dangerous. And we figured out the economic analysis and the impact are, are beyond what it is. There will not be a crisp, clean abolishment of single family zoning because we're gonna have a couple studies under our belt that we look at and analyze that show what it's gonna do to um, communities at risk that uh, from an affordability perspective that's there and things like community benefit agreements aren't gonna be in it because no one's gonna be able to figure out how to actually make that into a codified thing. Uh, since we're keeping it, uh, trying to keep it short, yep. just so people have a sense of this, the, the next steps, we passed the comp plan obviously last year. The next steps are we have got the place type mapping um, underway right now. That would be brought to this current council for a vote, probably spring, summer. The UDO itself is, there's a draft out now, but there'll be like four drafts before it actually comes to the council for a vote. That is, probably looks like a summer, fall vote Likely at this, it, my guess would be it'll be the next council. Um, but I don't know that we necessarily know yet. And, and obviously we don't know the election timeline. If to your point, there was some curveball and the next election doesn't take, the general election wouldn't take place until November. I don't necessarily think it would be delayed that long, but if, if our general election's in July, it probably is the next council. So that's the timeline on that. The other big thing we've got coming this year um, that's, that's somewhat related and sort of in the same planning space is uh, transformational mobility network. Um, that's probably worth us doing a separate episode on, but, but generally speaking, it is the, the multimodal transit plan, billions of dollars transit plan that would potentially be, now here's the other thing when we talk back to election timelines and all that, and who does it help? Who does it hurt? Who wants to see it on what election ballot? If there were to be a transit tax referendum, that could theoretically be November, 2022. It could be November, 2023. I don't know. It will not be think... November, 2022, unless something truly extraordinary happens. I haven't said that uh, one in a while. I don't, I don't know that I'd even want it to be. I mean, there's a double-edged sword of if you, if it's, 
if we said, all right, it's, let's aim for 2023, it gives you more time to go out and build, build allies, build a case, um, talk to people. But also every year that we, we push this out, pushes out us actually implementing it. It increases the cost every single year you wait to do something. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think we are, are far enough down the road to have any sense of when that might come forward or if that might come forward. That has to be granted by the General Assembly for us to even put it on the ballot. So um, and that process, I believe, starts in mid-summer. Like in you, terms of actually, you just mean the technical aspects of getting it on the ballot? Yep. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. And I think you and I both voice concern. Obviously, I'm much more on the pro side of, of that outcome. And you're probably less inclined to support that. But I think we both expressed uh, maybe fear or anticipation that if it's it's tried to be crammed into a short timeline, we'll end up where the arts tax ended up, which is there was a lot of misunderstanding. There was not a solid enough plan and it failed. And, and just, just for the records, I, I am not against it. I'm against the current plan that has been bungled to this point. And I, I am in massive favor of a transformational investment in transportation. 100% full stop. I just don't believe it's possible to have something that's going to work long-term that will get past our city council, that will get past the towns, that will get past the general assembly, that will lock down the federal funds, that will pass a referendum here. That is absolutely not going to happen. Even if it wasn't a condensed timeline, that would blow up at any one of those five steps just because the plan and the approach of those who brought it here is flawed. That is another episode. You are correct. Um, it's a lot of needles to thread. So it's, it's complicated um, and something that's not going to be resolved in the next month or two. But I think it's something that we have got to really start creating a, a more specific timeline around to say we, we need to know where the end is so that we can figure out a plan working backwards on how we get to where we want to be, which is something that alleviates or at least if not entirely alleviates our, our transportation challenges in this community, it offers people options and alternatives. And so that's everything from rail to roads, to trails, to sidewalks and everything in between um, to help people move around and move around safely. And it's gonna cost a lot of money. So we've got to figure out where that's coming from. Those, I think, you know, between the, the steps leading up to the UDO, transformational mobility network and the election, I think those are going to be, those three things are probably gonna take up 75% of the council's bandwidth between now and whenever the next council is seated. He, he, uh, agreed, but don't agree. Agreed in a, in a normal world that that's what it is. Let me tell you another bold 2022 prediction. Something is, the bottom is going to drop out of something that's going to uh, once again throw us for a massive unexpected loop. And you just I, mean I, like a COVID type of thing? Or I, like I, a the, the two most likely things that are on my radar that I think could do it is um, it, it could be COVID related, but it's going to be like, it's going to be more likely the implications of, of what the actions are to small businesses, to schools, to things that are going to enrage a, a community that is just fed up with it and done. Or it's going to be something like the bottom drops out of the real estate market again, or some something in the economy where, um, where, where all of a sudden we're in full on scramble mode. And you know, think about 2021. Like 
or maybe it was 2020. I don't even remember anymore. Like we had this whole roadmap of things. It'd be interesting to go back and listen to like a yeah. January episode of R and D. What we thought we were going to be doing. We thought, on that what, term. What we thought was our, this will be it. I, I have a feeling the bottom's going to drop out again. The be- best laid plans. Um, yeah. Ed has definitely thrown this term for a loop. And that, I mean, lots of the things that we've ended up dealing with in our four years now on council, we just completed our fourth year. Um, things that we probably had no idea we'd be tackling um, when we were running or even at times weeks or months before we were tackling them. So uh, you do have to be ready for the unexpected. And um, we could probably use the real estate market cooling a little bit, but I hope the bottom doesn't fall out of that or anything else. So anywho. Um, all right. Well, that was episode 115. We're glad oh, yeah, to man. be back. Uh, everyone. I mean, I don't really want to go into it deep, but we probably need to talk about the committees, right? Okay. Well, I, I didn't know if we were diving into that. I got we're not like going to dive minutes. in deep. We're going to do a two-minute version. We have to acknowledge it. So, right, would you like? Can you possibly give a two-minute summary? Why don't you do it? It'd be better coming from you. You'll 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 give it a more Larkin balanced perspective, and then I'll nod. So, the mayor just uh, I'm going to say Monday sent out a memo. I'm finding it right now, so I get the uh, I get it right with new committee assignments. So she created one new committee, which is called Environment, Engagement, and Equity. I don't know a lot about it yet. Um, there's not- Here's the, here's really- the punchline on it. Um, her decision to remove environment back in the day um, that she got backlash for, she realized nobody was talking about environment anymore. And they, she now has to put that back out there. Equity, when Braxton came at her after the mayor's initiative and said, you've pitched this without an equity framework. And she was like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. She knew she needed to have that there. And uh, what's the middle one? Engagement. Engagement. That's just a word. Continue. It's just, it works for the alliteration. E, um, yeah. e. Triple E. Um, triple the environment piece too. We just talked about how the UDO and transformational mobility network are going to be two of the biggest things on our plate that we know are going to be on our plate this coming term um, or this coming year. And those are all in the transportation and planning committee. So having environment lumped in there, there wasn't really any bandwidth left for environment. So it does make sense maybe to split that back out. So that committee was created. Uh, Councilman Ajmira will chair that. And then some things didn't change. Transportation and planning uh, leadership didn't change. Some of the makeup of the committee members did. Intergovernmental didn't change. That's still you and Braxton co-chairing. Um, budget, the budget committee is still Councilmember Driggs chairing. Um, I'm on that but, now, and you are on that, and you're also on uh, the Safe Communities Committee that I'm still chairing, but now Greg Phipps is I'm, vice I'm chair. I'm happy for that. I'm I'm glad. I've always that was one of the things I always kind of wanted to be on, but bandwidth was limited, so I'm happy about yeah. that. And then the the more significant changes that have gotten more attention. Our Great Neighborhoods, which is the former Housing and Neighborhood Development Committee, which Malcolm Graham had been chairing. He's now vice chair. And Victoria Watlington has been named chair of that. And uh, an economic development, which you had been the chair of. Who was your vice chair? Malcolm Graham. Oh, and Malcolm is now the chair with Ed Driggs as vice chair. And, and you're no longer on that one. And that's the one that the media has latched on to. Though there were many changes, that's the one that made for the best headline. So... Do you want me to jump into why, or do you have a why? Well, I mean, I think they're, I think they're not entirely different whys. I mean, 
your why in that article, when you talked to Eric Spanberg in the Business Journal, was it was punishment for you coming out vocally against the mayor. Um, I don't think that's entirely wrong, but I also don't think that's entirely unfair. Do you, let me just ask you this. With, with and, and I take it with a grain of salt in that I never have been a big believer and this quote made me look a little bad because it's you have to explain it more than just saying committees are dumb. Um, I've never been a big believer that committees are really that important. You can't take any action out of them. It's a place to do some work. And actually, I think they're counterproductive because one, they become these little fiefdoms by which everyone is a little mini mayor that sits there. And the problem with that is they whip staff around and staff has a, a, a strategic path they're on that ultimately uh, is accountable to the broader council. And too often they're scrambling to make things up that a chair of a committee wants to hear that truly isn't something that's there. And two, you can't make any decisions out of there. And the bad thing that happens is too often there's multiple meetings. We come up for a quick vote in council and all of us not on that committee who didn't attend are like, wait a minute, this is the first time hearing it. And everyone says, oh, that was brought up multiple times in the committee. Well, that doesn't help all the rest of us that have to vote on it. So that's that's context by which I think- you, you, followed, you followed the work we did last summer in the Community Safety Committee. I mean, yeah, imagine- but that's, you didn't, I didn't have to, but, but, no, but it was but important imagine, to me. Imagine trying to do all of that in the full council instead of bringing together. I mean, I agree. There are times where these committees go kind of off on a wild goose chase but I think too, there's examples of being able to bring stuff out of that that's a little bit more fully formed to present to council. There, there's of- a better model than committees. I don't know what it is, but there's there's <laughs> some better model than that because there's just those weaknesses are unbearable. But, but I, uh, you know, Vi got a lot of criticism for for giving you and Ed both leadership roles. It's the only two Republicans on the council. I went around and talked to every single council I member. I, I mean, outside they all gave me their endorsement to be. I mean, the outside. I mean, outside criticism. Yeah, um, but, but, but hold on. Let me let me finish here because th- th- I think this is the 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 important part of all this. Um, while I didn't necessarily do what Smudgy did with that committee meeting, roll in and call all the media and all these people to come and bring guests so that it was some big ordeal. Cause I didn't, I thought the work was more important than the pomp and circumstance of having a mini fiefdom. So well, you're I also did doing com- it during COVID, which is different too. Exactly true. But even so, like my style is not to try to call and rally up all these people to attend a meeting. It's about doing the important work. And the important work is from a policy perspective, pushing forward and structuring the Charlotte Hires um, initiative. And from a, a work and execution perspective, it was being out there and um, recruiting companies and jobs to this community, uh, working with our partners and building workforce and, and development programs and, and, and making sure we do economic impact analysis. I would argue um, very humbly, if I might add, uh, I'm most the humble person in Charlotte that from a, a measurement- people are saying that. From a measurement perspective, there hasn't been someone more effective at leading economic development from an elected official perspective in modern history in Charlotte. Modern history. Thousands. Modern, how many people modern, have brought thousands of jobs? Thousands of jobs to the community. I, I originally Moses appealed. was the chair of economic development. But that's um, but the point is this, and this is why I'm not overly mad at, at, at this at the end of the day, which is I never d- derived my my power of being able to do that from being a chair or being on a committee. I did it all before then. 
I will do it all after then. I think at the end of the day, what happened was in the last year and a half, the mayor and I got very sideways because going back to where we started, I didn't want to go after her. I had a lot of love for the mayor for, you know, that for, a, for the first year and a half, two years. And then when everything happened first with the riots and what she did with the police department, then moving on to her role in the uh, comp plan, pushing forward and being the force behind that, then going on to um, giving ourselves term extensions and giving ourselves pay raises, then going on to um, ultimately lying to us with the um, the CARES Act and the, the other federal dollars that led to the mayor's initiative. Those things are things that I can't stand by. If I didn't do something, no one else would have, and I was forced to do it, forced to bring that to inclusion. Trust me, that was as painful as I can possibly imagine. And now this was the punishment I got. And, and I'll tell you this to close this out. I would have had no problem and you wouldn't have heard me say anything publicly other than, yeah, this is what I get because, because of those actions. If she had waited as every time we switch committee leadership and committees to after the election where ultimately the new folks are there and it's it because that's part of the normal process. That's it. She was going to do it when Dimple came after all the things she was doing back uh, at the other time, she said, I can't do it off cycle because that the, the optics of that would be too bad. So we're in a spot now where she came out with literally probably what, six months, hopefully before the new council's on. And she changes basically that change and adds these other little perfunctory things in. So that's, that, that was vindictive and it was off cycle. And that's why I'm calling it out. But at the end of the day, I do deeply hope that I can have a 2022 unlike the last two years where I, I don't want to play this role anymore. I, I'm being dead serious with you. I am so tired and emotionally and spiritually beat up and exhausted from all of this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to be this person anymore. I wasn't this person for the first two years you knew me, was I? Not, not frequently. Um, I think I don't have time to unpack all of the things you, <laughs> you said led to your, your falling out with Vi, but I mean, to take the simplest one that I can summarize in 10 seconds, the pay raises were part of a budget that everybody voted on. That wasn't something Vi single-handedly like forced or like rallied. Don't go to, to this to the lowest hanging fruit. Well, that defense. is the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. But my point is there's we could have a whole nother episode of all those things you listed out. But if you in an alternative universe were the mayor of a nine-two Republican council and Braxton and I were the two Democrats, you would likely, I think be fair and say, you know what? I know these guys, I trust these guys. I'm going to give them some leadership opportunities on committees. If then Braxton, two years later, goes out and says, Tarks lied to us. Everything he's saying to you is a lie and you can't trust him and blah, blah, blah. I mean, if he started doing all that, you would you Did would I, probably do the same thing. You would On cycle, take him sure. Yes, on cycle. But let me ask you this question. In your scenario here, did I actually lie to you? Because if I, I, mean, I did lie and was called out and was vindictive, holy hell, the whole world would come down upon me. But if I did, that, that's the whole point. And I said this to Vi when she called me and told me this. I said, you may hate who I am, who I've become, whatever, the role I have to play. But I said, the one difference between- Well, here's, what you here's probably the big divide is that you would, you genuinely believe that, that Vi lied to you. Vi probably genuinely believes that she didn't. You in this other alternative scenario probably would think you did nothing wrong. And, and do you think, think that you Vi lied to us? 
on are you specifically on the vote around the on the vote at the retreat where we were tricked and they said they we have to vote today and i can't bring it back to you and we can't tell you where it is i think information relevant information was excluded i do not think we were lied to uh, I, you don't. You don't think there's a difference between those two things? I do not. With the intent, six days after that vote, she was on stage announcing a public-private partnership that she wouldn't have been able to without that vote. So, because I mean, everything else was a public-public partnership from well, the city. A whole, that's, a, that's definitely another episode. If we're, if we're trying but, to but, but, but let me let me just let me just say this, and this is the thing I said to her on the phone that day, which was the difference vibe between me being out there and attacking from your perspective or me defending whatever it is, is this, whatever you think of me, you can't come up with one scenario, nor can you, nor can Braxton or anyone else I work with where I lied to you. I've, if I'm doing it, I'm saying I'm doing it or I'm never saying, Nope, not going to do that. And then all of a sudden turn it around and I've, I've, I've lied or left out critical information that you needed and was, was ethically viable to have that, that decision there. And I said, I can forgive a lot of stuff and I can also forgive and move past this now, but it'll take a lot of work. But at the end of the day, your word and honesty and, and, and being able to count on what you're saying to me, we have to operate and make decisions on fractions of little pieces of information and not, not knowing and knowing that, that things are coming to us falsely and behind the scenes and, whether it's being withheld or it's a straight up lie, it, when you have to operate only looking at the tip of an iceberg, like we do almost all the time with all the things we vote on, that is something that I can't. Well, I can't a, a lie is, is telling us something that is untrue. And I don't believe that occurred. So I, I can appreciate your criticism of there should have been more information extended to us about what we were voting on, but I don't believe something was said that was categorically untrue. That so is said, it a lie if I it, rob a bank earlier today and then you look at me and say you're so bad at analogies yeah all right i won't go so but the the fact of the matter is it's politics you you've played politics i've played politics we all have on this council at times um i don't think playing this is the point though playing politics and playing dirty politics lying or withholding the truth whichever one you want to call it is it, it so let's call it withholding the truth and this is why this is why we were going to uh yeah. skip over the committee change uh, subject matter. Well, no, we needed I- to cover it. And listen, we don't need to cover it anymore. We're done. Right. Like I said, my deepest hope for 2022 is I can get back to being the person I used to be, which, which is the one who just does the work, figures out ways to get along. And, and the only way that's not going to happen, because I truly want that to happen, is if I see something that is terribly, terribly wrong and bad for the city of Charlotte, and I look around and no one else is going to speak up. And I, well, uninstall your social media apps on your phone, and I think that'll help. And then that's a separate topic. That's a separate okay. topic. All right. Well, it's been episode one fifteen. Sorry, it's been so long. We'll try to do better. We'll see you when we see you. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>